Let us pray once again. Oh God, we hear of your great works in the past as you used this song in Wales and to bring countless souls to yourself. You poured out your spirit. Come to us again in this hour, we pray. And show your Son, Jesus Christ. Shine your light, Lord, upon my mind, upon my words. May you be glorified, exalted. God, your light shines upon us. Your face shine upon us. We plead with you through your spirit that you have your way in us. Help us to forget ourselves and to find our rest, our strength in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some years ago, on, upon returning from a business trip, a man brought his wife some souvenir. And uh, it was a matchbox that would glow in the dark. And after giving it to her, he turned out the light at night and found out that the, this, this matchbox was not glowing in the dark. It was not visible in the dark. And so he got upset and he starts says, this must be a joke. And his wife was very disappointed. The husband said, oh, I've been cheated. I, I bought this souvenir for you out of Europe. Now his wife noticed some French words at, uh, underneath the box. So he took it to a fr she took it to a friend who spoke French. And she was told that that label said, if you want me to shine at night, keep me in the sunlight all day. So she put her gift in the window the entire day under the light of the sun. And that evening, she turned out the light and there the matchbox had this brilliant glow. Wonderful to be seen. And the husband was surprised and asked her, what did you do? Oh, I found the secret, she said. Before it can shine in the dark, it must be exposed to the light, you see. Just as the matchbox, having been exposed to the sun, took a, a nature of the sun and began to shine. So what we want to see today is that Christians should constantly expose themselves to the Son of God. And that is the source of our light. Jesus Christ declares in our text, John 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. The freedom and safety from darkness is found in Christ. That we take on His light and shine as lights in a dark world. That's what Jesus meant when He said, I am the light of the world. We now come to this second of seven I am statements of Jesus. Remember weeks ago we saw I am the bread of life. 
Just like that day, we will have Lord's Supper after this sermon. But the seven I am of, 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 of Jesus in John, now we come to the second one. The I am the light of the world. The famous revelation of Jesus Christ as light. We have already encountered how the theme of light uh, as opposed to darkness is typical of John, both in his gospel, but also in his epistles. First and second John. This cosmic contrast between good and evil, between sin and righteousness. We want to zoom in here and camp on this single verse. Today we're going to really slow down. In fact, today we come to a full stop. Before next time we will then push back on the accelerator. The, the meaning of this phrase, the little phrase, I am the light of the world, friends, must be first contextualized in, in the in the framework of what we've seen in John so far. Remember, weeks ago we saw that uh, this, there was this uh, Jewish festivals. Jesus was in Jerusalem, right? There was uh, the woman caught in adultery last time, but be before that, there was that long um, um, connection with the Feast of Tabernacles. So we must put this little phrase, which makes little sense, to con context. Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem. That's how we left him in, in John 7, 53. It was the final day of the Jewish festival of this Feast of the Tabernacles. We left Jesus in chapter 7 speaking to the crowds of pilgrims in the temple after the sprinkling of water, remember, from the pool of uh, uh, Bethesda all the way to the temple. He said, let the one who is thirsty come to me, remember? Well, now... Jesus addresses the crowd again using this tradition of the last Jewish festival, uh, the last day of the, the Feast of Tabernacles. There was this tradition of keeping these four huge candelabra, these uh, Jewish menorah, these candlesticks. Uh, you can still see them if you go actually to the Temple Mount today. There's this uh, huge candlestick. And they needed to be burned during the ceremony in the temple area. And when that was done... You will look at Jerusalem and it will light up at night. Everyone will look at these lights. And remember, back then there was no electricity. So think about what all the pilgrims who are coming to the Jewish uh, uh, feast are looking at Jerusalem lighting up. This is something that they don't see a spectacular sight for any Israelite. This is a time of enthusiastic celebration. Uh, during this uh, last day, men were dancing all night, holding torches and singing. And these lights were meant, once again, to point back to the Israel in the wilderness. The, the pillar of fire, remember, that led Israel through the wilderness. That light and night that guarded Israel in the wilderness. That brought Israel through its wanderings. And so this Jewish tradition required this a certain point in the feast. At the end of the the entire uh, week, the lightning of these candles in the court of the women in the temple. And that is the most likely instance where Jesus now comes with these words, I am the light of the world. In other words, Jesus uses this Jewish ceremonial instance as a conversation started. Remember the surrounding context of these verses. Jesus is dealing with Jewish enemies, adversaries, the darkness. They are in the dark. They're blind. They make people who want to go to God stumble in the darkness. 
And we'll see next time how this is the case. But here, regardless of the contrast that we saw already in chapter 7, remember? Where he said, come and drink. While at the same time the Jewish leaders were rejecting him. Jesus still gives another gracious invitation here to the crowds. And so this statement presupposes what we already saw in previous chapters of his gospel. Let's go to chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. John chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. You can turn there. We are building up of what we already saw. And the key words here is in in verse 5 of chapter 1 of John. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came to witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. See that? Now comes the time for Jesus to reveal his light before everyone. However, as we'll see next week, sadly, darkness is not happy about Jesus shining the light, exposing their darkness for what darkness is, which in this case is the sin of the Jewish unbelieving Jews, and particularly the religious leaders. We already saw this idea again in previous chapters of John, not just chapter 1. Go to chapter 3, verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil so here we come to chapter 8 in this statement the coming of Jesus is the light is coming to bring judgment on darkness to the unbelieving Jews and particularly the religious leaders shedding the light to their sin receiving their rejection whereas true believers do come out of darkness do come into the marvelous light of Jesus. So let me put this short verse and yet profound verse. Just one verse today. We can put it this way. Jesus is calling you to come to Him as light. So that you find clarity, safety, and purity in that light. As you are surrounded by dark, sinful world. That is what Jesus is doing here. Let us expound out of the first part of our verse the claim that Jesus is making about being light. What does he mean that I am the light? What Jesus means here is that he claims to be perfect in guiding people to the Father that the entire world, the entire mankind can go to the Father through him. He's the light that guides us to the Father. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that like the light, He provides us with guidance. We often associate light with something protecting us from stumbling in the dark. That is the first meaning of Jesus, I am the light. You probably have struggled coming back home at night. And uh, perhaps you were on the driveway and it was dark and you didn't want to trample or worse, you fear something that is unknown to your eyes in the dark and you you don't want to stumble you feel under threat and then all of a sudden you open your torchlight and you feel safer you see the path 
That's what it means that Jesus is the light. Light is something that belongs to Him particularly. Remember, when God created this world, what was His first word in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3? Let there be light. That means that Jesus is light in a transcendent sense. It means like the sun, Jesus Christ illuminates everything. He gives light. The Old Testament is full of this idea of light as a metaphor for spiritual illumination. Back in those days, Jewish people celebrated this feast of the tabernacles around this time, probably November, before the coming winter. Before, before the greater darkness. I mean, you know how the winter has shorter daylight, don't you? In those cases, people had this fire in front of their house that kept burning to avoid the task of having to rekindle the fire every time. But when a fire went out in someone's house, it meant that that person was dead. And so Jesus, in a certain sense here, you look at all of his person. He, he, he has done so many miracles already. He's preaching his face, it shines and enlightens people around him. His wisdom illumines the crowds. And he does that exclusively. He's not just light, but the true light as we saw in John 1. That means that apart from Jesus, you will not find not even a spark of true light in this world. You'll only find darkness. I mean, think of superstitious form of religion. And even those who emphasize knowledge or science without God. All this speculation of what is falsely called knowledge. The next trend, the next book, the next thing that society embraced as sparkle for a season, but then is soon forgotten. They appear shiny and promise knowledge, but the, the, they only dazzle the eye. And Jesus' light, however, it's different. It doesn't just expose darkness, but it also extinguishes all these earthly fake lights. Even in our uh, camp, we risk of following a certain pastor, a certain preacher, a certain teacher, a theologian, whatever it is, anyone else. Yes, we follow them only as they follow the light, the scripture, Christ. When they reflect that light, then we can say yes, but most importantly... Christ needs to be the light of the true believer. So it's an encouragement for us to let the word of God remain our ultimate light. Darkness, friends, here implies the opposite of light. When you live your life without any illumination. By that I mean that you live in spiritual ignorance. Without true spiritual understanding. Because you see, sin of whatever form, whether it's adultery, anger, arrogance, bitterness, greed, pride, gossip, slander, cowardice, deceit, defrauding, drunkenness, envy, idolatry, lying, murder, stealing, ungratefulness, and on and on it goes. All of that is the fruit of darkness. But that darkness has the power to darken your mind without you even realizing it. It takes away your life. It takes away your judgment of where reality is. That's, that's how sin is its own curse. It does violence to your soul. It leaves you lacking any capacity for understanding spiritually things and receiving the truth. So that Jesus is the light, not just in the sense that He reveals Himself through the Word of God and He shed light to your darkness, but that He grants you a new birth. 
He grants men and women by the Holy Spirit light. That's what we need. That's His task. The Holy Spirit is the helper. He guides us into all the truth. He gives you the, the spiritual capacity to actually comprehend the light of Scripture. Friends, you can hold your Bible, you can open it, and still be darkened in your mind. That's why God has to open and give light to your mind so that you understand the message of the gospel that it begins to make sense to your darkened mind. Not only the fact that, the fact that this is true about the gospel, but the, in, the internalization of the facts of the gospel in your heart. You see, you cannot see your need to be having this light until first you admit that this world, world around you is dark and you realize that darkness is not just something out there. Darkness is within us. And we need light. That we are all together blind by nature. The way we come into this world is in spiritual blindness. And we are all condemned for this blindness. In fact, the fact that we are spiritually blind is a condemnation. But the remedy is offered to you through Jesus Christ. Who is the light? That you have to receive this light within you. You realize that He died for you on the cross. He faced the darkness of God's wrath for you. And also that after that, three days later, the tomb was filled with light at His resurrection. This is the true guidance that you stand in need, friends. The Siderius Erasmus once said, Give light and the darkness will disappear of itself. I mean, think of, an, of when you woke up early and you see the sunrise. It's, you experience this beautiful gradual passing from the darkness of night to the light. And there's all these colors of, of nature that comes through. The nature starts to wake up. Birds starts to speak and everything is coming to life, awakened by the light. Friend, that's what happens when the Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ, rises in the heart of a new believer. It just brings light to all the darkness that was there before. So we could say there's a good enlightenment and there's a bad enlightenment. The the, the enlightenment of this world that tries to get rid of, of God, of truth, of Christianity, in the name of, of science and knowledge, that only produce darkness, friends. The, instead, the good and timeless enlightenment given by us through the Spirit, through God, and through Jesus Christ, that is the source of all true understanding. And friends, our capacity to discern truth comes not from yourself. You need it from outside, from God. He is your light. We all need this spiritual enlightenment to be able to even understand the truth about the Bible. And friends, it's our greatest judgment when the light of God's word is quenched and only darkness, ignorance reigns. We all see that in our society. When a society like ours rejects God's light in His word, we enter indeed in a very dark season. And throughout history, it's always been this way. But this goes to the individual as well, not just the society. We need wisdom. And so we must turn to the light of the Word of God. How many people have a very surface understanding of Christianity and the Bible? Yes, they might have seen flashes of truth here and there from the Bible for a season. But their mind is still has never been truly enlightened. That they think they understand things where... 
actually they're still in ignorance spiritually. And that is the paradox that sometimes the person who is most ignorant about this, the scripture tends to be the most proud, rejects the light of divine wisdom. And there's the other aspect in this light, friends. Beyond wisdom, many of us have this hindrance to receive the light. What is it? It's the fact that like the light, that is our next sub-point there in your outline. Like the light, Jesus is also pure holiness. It's not just knowledge. When Jesus says, I am the light, He's saying that He is holy. First of all, notice He says, I am. Let's, let's comment about these seven claims of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. What Jesus is doing here, we must understand it here and next week as we will refer to Jesus' divine claims. That I am that I am of Exodus 3. Jesus therefore is described as light, as the sphere of Him, the divine light. I am points also to the essence of Jesus. I am. It's not that Jesus is saying, I have the light, guys. I am the light. Just, the, just as the light in, is the essence of God, we see this in 1 John, God is light. It doesn't say in 1 John that God has the light. Light here is referring, and in 1 John, to holiness. Just as God is holy, so Jesus is holy. And light here, it's in contrast, as we saw, with darkness. Therefore, if darkness is sin, light is purity. God's perfect, blameless purity. Darkness implies dangers and death and sin and depravity and corruption, rebellion. The dominion or the realm of Satan is darkness. Everything that stands in opposition to God. Everything that is kept secret. Everything that is kept under the carpet. Afraid to come out before everyone. Everything that is an enmity with God. And the sad truth, friends, is that the darkness is a predominant thing in this world. It is rare to see light. Darkness is everywhere, especially like us who are called to live in these last days. It's all around us, the darkness, isn't it? Few even among professing Christians display the light. And they do so because they have their eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. And that is, becomes noticeable when the light is there. Light, therefore, is a word full of implications for your behavior. It involves holiness. It involves moral perfection. God's light as such is blinding to those, as we'll see next time, who are still in the dark. But it becomes guidance to those who gladly come near the light because they got nothing to hide, friends. Have you ever stopped and reflected on how our God is light? Have you ever dared to, to run toward this marvelous light? This everlasting light that God is. In, in this sense, God is distinct and separate from all other creatures. He, he possesses a perfect moral purity. He is above creation. He is set apart and with purer eyes. That's what Habakkuk says. God, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. That is, that is it's light. He is separated from everything that is sinful. That in God, there is no darkness at all. I mean, we sinful creatures cannot even envision such degree of perfect purity. 
He is righteous, just. He has no partiality. He's completely fair. Therefore, God has all the right in the world, friends, to be wrathful toward darkness. Toward any form of darkness and sin which contradicts His perfect nature. Friend, this should cause us consternation and wonder in, in you and I when we realize how dark we are compared to God. Compared to this perfect standard of Him, we are bad. Compared to Christ, you and I are two dark spots. Only relatively darker, but both, we are both way removed from the perfection of His holiness. His light, therefore, intends to expose our sin. That one ray of His omniscience, one ray of His knowledge of our darkness, it lights up the secret chamber of our memories, exposing to ourselves the law that we broke, and the crimes we'll have to get to answer before His holy, perfect, impartial light. And I'm warning you, friend, if you are afraid of the light, you need to be suspicious of yourself. That there's something that is out of touch with the reality of where you are spiritually. When you face to face with the shining forth of the glory of God between the cherubims and you see all that light and you, you declare, Lord, I am, I am sinful. I, I, am, I, am, I am a sinful man, a sinful woman. My dark heart is exposed now before this light. Your sin all of a sudden has its true light. In light of the perfect holiness of God. That's why God, uh, through Paul, calls the church in Ephesus not to partake in the evil deeds of darkness. But to denounce them openly. Unless you want the whole church to be overcome by darkness, friends. The darkness of sin is what separates us ultimately from God. To the point that He doesn't hear our prayers. To the point that He remains away from us. And if we don't solve it, friends, it will lead us ultimately to the outer darkness. Hell. That's where the good news, friends, steps in. That He opens your eyes. Have you ever, through the gospel, seen the light yet? Jesus' sinless light is the perfect substitute, friend. He died on the cross for dark, sinful human beings like you and me. Think of it. He was hanging on that tree. It became dark over all the earth. Why? Because all of the judgment for our dark sin fell on the shoulder of the perfect light of the world. It was so unbearable, friends, that he had to say, Lord, why have you forsaken me? That's how dark it was. None of us can imagine the darkness of Calvary. And yet, we deserve to pay for that darkness of sin that we have committed. But now, by faith in his sacrifice, you can receive the light in exchange for your darkness. It also implies that behind the words of Jesus... This is a call for everyone, for us to walk in the light now. That if you truly see this light, you now walk with it. You walk behind the light of Christ. That once you're enlightened, He calls you to be holy as He is holy. That the way a believer can escape the darkness of this evil world is through following the person and the teaching and the scripture of Christ. Be pure as He is pure. 
Be blameless as he is blameless. That by following this light, you are called to renounce all the deeds of darkness, friends. The beauty of such light is also that the fact that just like the sun, it's not something that is only somewhere. It's all over the earth. That is the, the next sub point there. That like light, Jesus shines everywhere. There is a universal dimension to this light. Jesus didn't say, I am the light for Israel. I am the light for this person over here. He's the light of the world. It's not just a light on a candle to enlighten few Jewish homes like at the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the world's light. One thing is to claim to have a light that lightens the neighbor. That would be already impressive. A whole different thing is to claim to be like the sun in front of everyone. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, I am able to enlighten this entire globe, which sounds impossible. Yet that's the promise of the Great Commission, isn't it? All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, as the water cover the sea. This is a universal light. Jesus claimed to be the light, not just for Jerusalem, not just for Israel, but for the entire universe. Particularly Mankind, Jesus is not just light for believers. He shines on everything that's bright and beautiful in this world. Later in chapter 9, he will repeat this. Chapter 9 verse 5, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What this implies is there's no other true light available but Him for the world. Although clearly those who receive the light benefit from the light the entire world will witness the light of Christ. Regardless of their spiritual condition. Just as they witness the light of the sun every day. Remember, Jesus is in the temple here. And he declares these words to everyone in the crowd. And it's an invitation for you and I to come to him. To find light in him. Not just the religious people in the temple. Not just those who are learned. Everyone. Even the ignorant. Even the common people. Whatever they may be. The gospel here records the words not even just to the Jews, but anyone. Not only to one person, but to the whole world. This shining doesn't happen automatically, however. God is pleased to use the church to actually bring the light into the world. That is why John Hagee said, we are indeed the light of the world, but only if the switch is turned on. In other words, there's a call to share the gospel for Christians to be a light in this world. It couldn't be broader here. Jesus is a light to every nation. That the saving work of Christ must go into the world. It's almost like a light that shines everywhere. And we are called to let that light through the gospel to share it with everyone we encounter. And some of, some of us might feel intimidated to do that. Perhaps we don't know what to say and we notice the darkness all around us and we get, uh, we get discouraged or afraid. But friends, we have the answer. We have the light. We have the hope, the good news. Any Christians, not just some, we are called to shine the light. You don't need a degree. You're, sh you're called to share the good news with everyone as a believer. Even beyond evangelism also, there's a... There's a, a light that shows itself in the way you behave. Your conduct, your words, your good works that glorify God. That's how you shine the light. Your life 
that light doesn't remain hidden under a bushel, but it's to be let shine. Why? Because our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. If Jesus is to shine in all of His light across this terrestrial globe, so full of darkness, the church is called to do that. That was the call of the church, to be a city upon a hill. That was the reason why America was founded. And Theta is indeed upon a hill, are we? That the entire valley may see that there's light. We have to expound this horizon beyond, beyond, beyond just mourning over the darkness and how things are getting dark. Friend, the light is nothing intrinsic in you and me. It's simply Christ in you. That's what it, what it is. That Jesus remains the light. We're just called to be like a moon, to reflect the sun. The light of the sun. We, we don't put a light under the basket, however. We put it in high on the ceiling. That the light of the good news of Jesus needs to shine forth in every corner of this earth. And it starts in the dark spot that surrounds you. Yes, those, I realize that there, there's a surrounding context of the verses that is not so optimistic. That there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of rejection we'll see next, next week. Some Christians envision that everything is going to go better and better and the light is going to naturally... No, there's a darkness. At the end of this age, we know. Scripture repeatedly warns us that darkness will increase. Yes, we know that. It's already increasing around us. Our children might have to walk dark days ahead, friends. But the risk that I see in the church now is failing to... Or falling into the trap of this in being overcome by the darkness. To now hide, either because of darkness within the church or for fear from darkness outside the church. And so the church retreats. The church is failing to shine the light of God's word. And friends, there's no pride in this. When God commands you to shine the light, it's actually a beautiful thing. We don't shine light when we promote ourselves and we use Christianity for our own purpose. That is not true light. I do, however, think that really the main problem in the darkness and the church today is that there are genuine Christians who are enjoying the light for themselves almost like a child under the blanket with a, a torchlight. And that's beautiful and nice. They're afraid of what people will do. They fear the dark if they shine this light. Friends, we might be called to shine the light of Jesus in the dark, in darkest night you can ever imagine. And we're still called to do that. And we might suffer for seasons, attacks from the darkness. But if you don't do that, then darkness overcomes you. Or you will be reprimanded, reproved later by the light, Jesus Christ. For selfishly having sought to keep the light to yourself. Over and over again. So let's not lo lose hope. As long as we have the light. But Jesus has ultimately to come down and shine this light. That goes to the second part of our verse. Second part of verse 12. There's a promise for us in this light. What is the promise? Is that Jesus promised that if we follow his light, we will be delivered and protected all the way to eternity from the darkness of this world. 
There's an identification of you and I with this light that needs to happen. Jesus not only states that he's the light of the world, but he also adds this promise. He who follows me shall not walk, walk in darkness. Whoever you may be, you, fo you follow Jesus, you do that continuously, not a one-time decision, and then you remain in darkness for the rest of your life, or even deeper darkness afterwards. No, there's a, there's a condition even. If you follow me, then light will follow. Following here implying that you trust and obey Jesus Christ. You allow yourself to be governed by Jesus' commands. In other words, the one who follows Jesus will by necessity follow the light. And uh, elsewhere in the scripture, he, he turns the statesman around and he says to the disciples, You, now is my turn, now is your turn, friend. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 14 and 16. That we are called sons of light, children of light. Just as, as you can't be constantly exposed to a tanning lamp. You know what those tanning lamps do, right? They, they, they make you impacted with a tan skin. And it becomes evident to everyone that sees you. You cannot claim to be close to Jesus Christ. And not be impacted. The light doesn't just stay in Jesus. It proceeds in the heart and lives of each and every one of the true followers of Christ. You could say actually that Jesus' light actually shines brighter now than it was back when Jesus was here. You know why? Because it spread from him to his followers. From 12 apostles to millions of people scattered across the entire world. Their hearts are burning with this light of the Word of God. And anytime the gospel is proclaimed, the light shines. And that is the light that you have to receive and are commanded to share it with others. So that they accept this light that shines. In the darkness of sin. The light of the cross is able to take away the burden of sin. The light that guides you to your promised land in heaven. But also the light that shines in the church. We are the very ones, friend, who are commanded by Jesus to shine this light. Because we have the hope of the gospel. That's what this dark world needs. We have an answer to the most fundamental problem of humanity. Let us shine that light to the uttermost capacity. Later in the letter, John emphasizes this dimension of the light that is particularly important for us, I think, as a, a church. What, what is the way that 1 John 2.10 addresses being light whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling love one another this is how we shine the light in the church by loving one another first in fact it would not be an issue to call people to church people would want to come to church when they know that there is genuine love for one another that there is also the opposite there's a lot of darkness when we hate, devour, or gossip against each other, and with that comes stumbling. I mean, stumbling is bad. Some of us experienced stumbling, went to the hospital, and they got hurt. That's what stumbling is. Instead, let us put the armor of light, because it is not of wrestling with flesh and blood, but against forces of darkness that hate the light of Jesus, that they want to quench any true Christian witness. Therefore, we must fight. To keep the light 
It should cause excitement, however, because believers now join and share the same light. They're exposed through the light, through a living relationship with Jesus. And it brings a noticeable difference. And it brings, when you share with others, brings so much joy, not just to the person who receives the light, but to you. There's joy. Just like in our previous point, like there's a light that is wisdom and holiness. There's also this other dimension here. We identify with the light, but also, second point, we also be, will be safely turning away from darkness. That's what it means to shall not walk in darkness. There's a double dimension of these words, referring to your spiritual condition. Just as we saw, there's a double dimension in the meaning of the word light. The plain one here is that when you're near the light, you will be protected from dangers in the darkness. In other words, Jesus promises that if you follow Him, you will be protected from going astray. You will not have to walk in darkness. How is it possible? Because of the light of Christ. That you are clear about things. You don't stumble around. We know and now become able even not to sin. So Jesus here is promising any true followers that if you follow Him, you will become close to Jesus and you will be delivered from the experience of blindly going through life without true sights. That's what most of the people around us are doing. They're walking in the dark. This promise of God, therefore, should cause us to have no fear that even the darkness is light to God. I want to bring every one of us to look at our lives, the life of people we know around us, with the awareness that there is a danger of blindly going through life without light, and that will inevitably cause you to stumble. Even among those who profess to know the light, there are examples abounding of people whose light either faded or goes on and off and causes complete lack of constancy in their lives. They can't be relied upon. They change colors. One time they're black, one time they're white. They become prey of all sort of things in the darkness, ignorant, and they're still in spiritual blindness. Friend, you don't want to be that. You who think you stand, you take heed lest you fall. That if you're really in the light, you can't remain in the dark. The two are opposite. Otherwise, you're going to trip and fall in the dark because you didn't take to heart the light. You kept walking in darkness. You can't do both. That is the other sense of shall not walk in darkness. It's almost a never will not be walking in the dark. A double negation emphatically warning you of something. That if you truly follow Jesus, if you follow His light, you will never walk in darkness. You will never remain with a spiritual darkened eyes, unable to see the truth in the Word of God, the light of Christ. John is clear that if you claim to know Him and you walk in darkness, the truth is not in you. You can't do both. As He is in the light, we are called to walk in the light. That's what true discipleship is. There's no exception to this, by the way. In other words, as if Jesus here is saying, no true follower of mine will continue to walk in the dark. It's impossible. And walk here refers to your entire lifestyle. Your life as a whole cannot be characterized by walking in darkness. That's why later Jesus would say, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
that the person who follows the light, their lifestyle will not be characterized by wandering in the dark. As you come toward God's holy light, your life will not be, cannot be characterized by the darkness of sin, by lies. Instead, there is a lifestyle in keeping with that light of holiness and truth. This point will impress the Apostle John so much that he says in 1 John 1.5, God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. That if you claim to have fellowship with Jesus, but you walk in darkness, you lie and deceive yourself. The truth is not, is not in you, no matter your claim. The logical conclusion, friends, is that if you refuse to come to Jesus in His term, you will continue to walk in darkness and you will deceive yourself. Not a pleasant experience for any of us when you find yourself without electricity inside of an unknown building, that is terrifying. It's like, where, where am I going to trip? I don't I have no clue. That's what it feels like. Vice versa. You're walking in the darkness of sin as well as remaining in the dark about the light of truth. It's a demonstration that you're not still in the light. That Jesus, you have to take this statement in the context of the rejection of darkness. We'll see next time. The heated speech and back and forth of insults between the unbelieving Jews and Jesus. We'll see that next time. There's an indictment, okay, against the Jews with this, I am the light of the world. Because the surrounding context of this verse is very negative. They refuse to come to Jesus because they love the comfort that darkness provides. And you know what that's the comfort? I can have my double life. Yes, I may have a physical sight, but I'm still blind. May this trap be far from any of us. Friend, don't be fooled. People who live and thrive in the darkness and try to drag you towards such darkness. You need to realize what's done in the darkness shall be brought to the light sooner or later. The darkness obviously wishes in self-deception that this will not be the case. But Christ says elsewhere in the gospel, there's nothing that is concealed that will not sooner or later be disclosed. Nothing hidden that will not be made known. And that whatever Jesus tells us in the dark, He actually calls us to speak that in the light. So we have no fear of darkness, because the light prevails. So that is a, an invitation, especially as we come to the Lord's Supper, to confess our darkness, and to truly leave it behind to access the light. Because that leads to our last sub-point of when you truly receive the light, you, you truly receive eternal life. Jesus concludes this uh, verse. He says, His followers will have the light of life. John 33 verse, uh, sorry, Job 33 verse 30 says, uh, speak of the light of life as the, the future hope that is restored. You know Job's story. He had a past darkness as a result of God's intervention. However, he's brought back to the light of life. We could render this word as the light which is life. Not only holiness and guidance are in view with this light, but there is also a light that Jesus is life-giving. Another more likely way to render this is, is a light that leads you to life, to eternal life. Pointing to the benefit and the result of receiving Jesus by faith. He is the light. And if you receive this light... It will remain with you until you finish your course and you get to heaven. So the theme of light here, here is light of eternal life ultimately. For everyone who believes in Jesus, you come to the Lord who is your light. 
the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall we fear? We come to Him as the true light. And He provides plenty of light to live in this life, but also in eternal life. The, the, the content of the light could be in view as eternity. The sense is that leaving light from Jesus will flood your path, surrounded by darkness, all the way to heaven. That is the way, all the way to eternal life. But other than God's word is the light that guides and provides us with wisdom, leading us to eternal life. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The reason we will not walk in darkness is because we have this light with us all the time. The light becomes a metaphor for happiness, for life. It doesn't mean an easy life. We're still in a dark world. But after this life, we leave everything behind and, and we come to the final glory. Uh, there was an English reformer, Hugh, Hugh Latimer, who was in England during the 16th century, was about to be burned at the stake by the Catholics because he wanted to defend the Bible. And he said to his friend, as they were both approaching the 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 fire, he says, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley. Play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. We know this from nature. Plants need the light, don't they? They need the light of the sun to, to be able to grow animals. And we, we cannot live without all the ecosystem that God has Put in place because of light. In that sense, Jesus is light in the sense that He grants us true life. Both the abundant life that we will see in chapter 10, a life that is lived to the full compared to the riches and pleasures of this world, a pale in comparison. So that if a person has this light within himself, no matter if he's poor, no matter if he's rich, people will feel jealous about the light that he has. Ultimately, life, however, is eternal life here. Can you imagine what it will be like when you and I enter into heaven? The Bible tells us that if we, it will be a place full of light. That, that we ourselves will be transformed into pure light. However, nothing dark will be authorized to be enter into heaven. That is why we have to receive this life now before it's too late. Jesus warned the crowds, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Remember, in darkness we only find sin, theft, murders, every self-destructive thing you can imagine, which ultimately will harm you and destroy you and even your loved ones. Why would anyone want to stay in the darkness, I wonder? The reason, as we'll see next time, is that the, the crowds, the, uh, that are unbelievers... Stay in the dark. They want to quench the light. It is because they don't want what they're doing to be found out. Their conscience convicts them. They would rather comfortably remain in sin than to face the awkwardness of bringing the sin to the light. Confessing it and turning away from it. Humbling themselves. Turning from darkness and receiving eternal life. Do not be that man. Come out of the darkness, friends, and... Christ's light will shine upon you. So how do we conclude here, friends? We see today in this one verse that Jesus is the light of this whole world. 
Think about it. From the start of Bethlehem to the light shining on the sepulcher on the third day, all the way to his ascension to heaven. Jesus not only brought us light, but he is light. Now, you either come to him as light, you find safety and separation from all that is darkness, all that is evil, all that is sin, or you remain in the dark. Because, as we saw in John 1, your deeds are evil. I hope you realize that just as a room can be either light or dark, so is within your soul. There's no gray area. If you claim to know this light, you cannot remain in darkness and, and still be a true follower of Jesus Christ. So the church, that's another thing that we see in this one verse, is called to walk in that beautiful light. We must not anymore partake in the deeds of darkness. Friends, Jesus later will, in the gospel, warn people that the light was among them for a little while longer. There was an expiration date to Him being in this world. Jesus was about to leave this earth. and We don't know how longer. I, I don't know how longer we'll have the privilege to have the light near us. There comes a time when, when all sinners will be cast into outer darkness forever. And there will be no exit sign. Even to be near the light for the time being, without becoming yourself within part of this light, is pointless. This call remains. You must walk while you have the light of Christ and His Word preached, lest darkness overtakes you. That's, that's, that's the danger. Remember the one who walks in the dark, has no clue where he's going. That's what means to follow Jesus. You make Him your commander. You are now His slave. He's your Lord. And you ponder... The beauty of this light. We have promises in the scripture that are dear to me. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Or this one in Daniel. Those who are wise will indeed shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Friend, if you're in Christ, meditate on this glorious future. Be a light in this present world. Revive your hope. That is the beauty of, of this coming glory of eternal life. There will be no more light. There will be no more sun. You know why? Because in that glory, the Lamb will be our light. That's what Revelation tells us. Just as He's forewarned us here, there will be no daytime, no, no nighttime. That is what Jesus meant when He says, let there be light. And when he says to his church to shine this light of Jesus, even in the darkest place. Let us pray.